before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. This is Chris and James from State of Fear Podcast. When you find a new podcast that covers the areas of supernatural, the paranormal, or true crime, are you often disappointed to find that it covers the same subjects you've heard about again and again? Yeah, when it comes to the world of podcasting, do you really think you've heard it all? Probably, but not here. Every Friday, we go from state to state to uncover unusual or horrifying stories that often tend to fly under the radar of those other podcasts. What stories, you might ask? Well, have you ever heard of Iowa's exorcism of Emma Schmidt? Or the murder of 13-year-old Bruce Kim in Washington? How about the strange deaths at Hobbs Reservoir in northern Utah? Or South Dakota's duct tape killer? That's not enough for you? How about the South Carolina Third Eye Man? Oklahoma's Abominable Chicken Man? What about the Devil Monkeys in New Hampshire? Or the Rougarou of Louisiana? Well, we've covered all of these and much more, and this was just the first season. So, is your morbid curiosity piqued? Well, follow us anywhere you get your podcast to hear all about the lesser-known but just as frightening tales of murderers, demonic possessions, and silver-suited chicken eaters that you never ever knew existed. State of Fear Podcast, where terror is homegrown. Dun 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 dun. Perhaps it's you. <laughs> Your favorite unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. In fact, it's just your favorite podcast. I'll say it. I know it. I'm Liz. And I'm Samantha. Well, usually we like to start every episode by saying hello to BD Wong because we're both big fans. I mean, he's just amazing. Big fans. And um, a little while ago, I was watching the movie Stay from 2005. Do not recommend it. I was watching it because Ewan McGregor was in it. But it's one of those movies that's like, what's real? Nothing. I, it's totally pointless. Anyway, I was watching it. And who should show up but B.D. Wong wearing some very unfortunate facial hair that I'm just <laughs> going to decide was not his choice. I mean... That's I right. He just is what he's told. He's an actor. This is what we're going to believe. I'm therefore... going to believe that was not the facial hair he was just walking around with, and that someone working on that stupid movie was like, you know what, you need a big puff on your chin. And so I uh, chin puff, a chin puff, as it may be called. So I posted a screenshot of this unfortunate facial hair on our social media. And said, who should show up with the soul patch? Hi, B.D. Wong. And then yesterday, I looked at our Instagram, and B.D. Wong had B.D. Wong himself, everyone, had commented. And commented to say in all caps, it's not a soul patch. Get it right. With a <laughs> with, with a, the heart. With a heart. Because he's joking. And he understands how to use the internet. Uh, my mind is kind of blown. That he saw it. I did tag the photo as him because, you know, it's him. Well, and we want him to notice us. Yeah, but I didn't not in one million years actually expect him to say anything. So to see Much that. Much correct our, our error, our, our facial hair misidentification, which is very on brand for us, I feel like. Very on brand for a show that names mustaches. And then I was like, why am I talking about? I can't grow facial hair. I don't 
don't know what facial hairs are named. Why? Am I, I would have assumed that was a soul patch too, but it's it's not. Does it have a name? Some people were telling me oh, was it called a chin puff. Some people were like, "That's Wait, just that's a- actually what it's called. It's not something yeah. you just made up." <laughs> oh, no. Some people were like, "That's just a goatee," which I think it is just oh. a goatee. Okay, if you Google image chin puff, the the, <laughs> the variety of mustaches or of is it a mustache? It's not no, a mustache. No. It's, a, it's a type of beard. It's a chin puff. <laughs> What's a chin puff? Is something that people commonly ask. Apparently. <laughs> commonly it's so commonly it's it's also okay so this says according to according to wikipedia this is list of facial hairs on wikipedia (laughs) a a, a chin puff is also referred to as a chin strip they refer you to goatee however i think it's a type of goatee okay well it's not traditionally the term referred to a style including only the hair on the lower jaw around the mouth but has become a blanket term to refer to any style incorporating hair on the chin but not the cheeks including those with incorporated mustaches i don't know who's on whose authority this is (laughs) the government yeah i mean a soul patch is really very small and it's like right under the lip yeah you're right but and I think Mac told me that, like, right after I posted it. And I was like, whatever, I don't care. But then B.D. Wong himself corrected me. Sorry, that is not a soul patch. Get it right. And um, I don't know. My friend told me that now I know how Mulan feels that I've gotten B.D. Wong to notice me. <laughs> it's a pretty big day here. Perhaps it's you. It's a huge day. This is possibly the biggest day of this podcast history. I think that this joke, I can't fully remember why we started... <laughs> dedicating every episode to bd wong but i think somewhere way back and perhaps it's used history we had asked each other like what celebrity would we be most impressed with if we found out they listened to the podcast and i think our answer was bd wong <laughs> and i think we get a claim he listens now he doesn't but i think <laughs> i think we get a claim that he does because he contented he commented on our instagram one time what if we get an email from like bd wong at gmail.com <laughs> saying he listens to our podcast i'll lose my mind i'll i will lose my mind i will completely lose it hi bd wong sorry we misidentified your chin puff i did i did apologize i don't expect him to respond again but i did apologize for getting that wrong i would have called that a soul patch even though i know what a goatee is it's something about the length of it i don't know it's just odd it's not facial hair you see very often it's pretty bad it is um, I don't know if you saw the comment that I said that um, Samantha says this will haunt me forever. <laughs> That's on there. You also called him Big Daddy Wong. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> on that same post. <laughs> well, okay, because someone, maybe it was me. At some point, I admitted that I often, when I'm typing out BD Wong, as you often do, I'll, I'll put it in DB Wong, which is not right. And I blame DB Sweetie for this. But um, so I have to remember. Oh, it's Big Daddy Wong. It's <laughs> a good. That's a good memory trick. <laughs> that's the order that it goes in, so that I'm not accidentally combining DB Sweeney and BD Wong into one mm-hmm. famous mm-hmm. person that was in the cutting edge and special victims unit. <laughs> what a day! What a life! What a, what an adventure! This podcast brings me on forever. <laughs> Indeed. Somehow he didn't like your comment. Me saying. You that you said this will haunt me forever. That didn't get a like. 
Well, neither did stands for Big Daddy Wong. That didn't. (laughs) Oh my god! He he knows how the internet works. He can't be liking comments about being called Big Daddy Wong. No, he can't. Which I understand. I actually met um, a teenager recently who was a huge BD Wong fan, and that was like our our point of bonding. And she owns a a sweatshirt that says "I Heart BD Wong" on it. (laughs) I was like, oh my god. I uh, dedicate every episode of my podcast to Beanie Wong. And the teenager's mom was like, you're into this Chinese man in his, his 60s? That's your type? And the teenager was like, no, I just like his like energy. And I was like, I can't help that he's fine. <laughs> he's my type. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm much older than a 15-year-old, so fair. She was, she was like, oh, I hadn't even really thought of him as a person. I think of him as just like a presence. <laughs> I mean, kind just of like a, a supernatural force of good. Yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, but also he's fine, right? It doesn't hurt. <laughs> so he's like extremely attractive. When is BD Wong releasing his skincare routine? That's what I. That's the information. I don't care if this is a soul patch or a chin puff or what the fuck. I don't. I care. would pony up my life savings <laughs> to find out what. When he... is he coming out with the BD Wong skin cream? Because I will buy it that day. Yeah, it's a. It's clearly. Well, okay. Guess what, everyone? We have a very exciting snack time today. Yes, so I was going to say, that BD Wong skincare cream is probably made with miracle water. And guess what? <laughs> guess what we're going to be drinking today? <laughs> miracle water. Uh, listener Nora, thank you very much. Uh, sometimes I uh, might be a little demanding on this podcast no who's to say really uh and i might have demanded that someone send us miracle water from lords i got a little obsessed with lords and i wanted to try it and see if it would cure what ails me and she really sent us some and there was a bottle for both me and samantha so we both have some miracle water i think we should i did put mine in the microwave i I boiled mine as well i just feel like it's safe that way (laughs) People were upset when I originally talked about drinking it, so I just want to clarify again. This isn't holy water. It was not blessed by a priest or whatever. It's from a spring in France where the Virgin Mary appeared to St. Bernadette and told her that this water was healing. So people do go to this spring and drink it. We're not able to go to the source. So listener Nora very nicely sent us some. It's from a store on Etsy. I assume it's legit. So, But I wasn't sure how sanitary the bottling practices were. So I did want to give it a little zap in the microwave. (laughs) I boiled mine as well. I I have it over a a couple ice cubes. I did. I burn my finger uh, because I put it in for way too long. Yes. So maybe it came. It came out extremely hot. It's not that much water, and I wanted to keep some of the water for sentimental reasons. And also, maybe I'll need it in the future. I don't know. Uh, so I only did like half of it, and so it did come out like as hot as the very, sun. So I very had it over a couple ice cubes. So it might be diluted a little, but that's okay. Sure it might not be what the Lord wants for you to put this in the microwave, but you know what? Better to say. Stay. Okay, let's drink it. Let's go. All right. One, two, three. All right. Tastes like water. Tastes like water. It's almost a little metallic tasting, but that might be the length of time I zapped it. <laughs> Or maybe the minerals from the... Oh, that's true. I had also ordered for us... This is... We should thank our Patreons for this. Yeah. Patreon money. That there is a site called Direct From Lords. And I ordered us these mints that are made with the water. 
This is and another reason why I have no problem drinking it because clearly they're bottling it and putting it into product. <laughs> they're putting it into mints that are meant to be eaten. Yes, I think I think this this water is meant to be eaten or or drunk, consumed and at least because it's from France. It comes in the like most beautiful tin. It's it's gorgeous. I'm gonna put like safety pins in it. Yeah, I'm keeping this for the rest of my life. Like this will be at my estate sale when I die. Everyone, I there's no way I'm ever parting with this tin that has the Virgin Mary on it, and then French says, "I am the Immaculate Conception," and just talks about the mints. The mints are surprisingly big. Yeah, and there's a you get a lot of them. I assume each one contains a miracle. <laughs> and there is the Virgin Mary on one side, and then I don't know what that says, mints or something on the other side. <laughs> I don't know what that word is. Um, all right, should we eat one? Yeah, let's eat one. And they're not bad. No, they're, they're good. Min- they're minty. Mm-hmm. And I I think this would be a very nice present for someone. I don't. Absolutely. I might. I might get these from my mother-in-law. So I feel like she'll be a little bit like, what, Liz? <laughs> Made in France. I mean, I don't know. This is classy. Yeah. And I this, assume I'm healed now. I'm really hoping my I can just feel the menstrual clamps leave my body. From as I, as I devour this mint. This is our first holy snack time. We've really come a long way. Yeah, from snack just time. Trying some Japanese Kit Kats is what you're more used to. And now, now the Virgin Mary is with us to heal us. Not St. Bernadette, though. Sorry about St. Bernadette. Yeah, Virgin Mary didn't really do much for St. Bernadette. But... No, that's a rough faith. I guess she gets to be a saint, but she probably would have rather been cured. Probably. Lived a couple more decades. <laughs> she died at 35. Poor St. Bernadette. Okay, I really like these mints. This is a quality item. Yeah, I agree. And I love the tin. So solid. Was... Also, the bottle that the the miracle water came uh, in is also like a very vibe. pretty, very pretty. Um, you know the French know what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so I'm looking at the uh, direct from Lord's Catholic gift shop website. How much are these mints? Uh, fourteen dollars a ten. That seems perfectly reasonable to me. I mean, considering how big it is and how pretty the tin is. Oh, they so. they seem to only have square tins now. We have round tins, but oh. I assume it's the same thing. And it does say in parentheses, edible. So, <laughs> good. Lord's Water Mints, a wonderful tasting mint with the benefit of being made with Lord's Water. I didn't think I would be re- recommending things to you that are from the direct from Lord's Catholic gift shop, but here we are. Oh, you can also get chocolates. What? I didn't yeah. see that. I'm on direct from Lord's. There's a section on the their their website oh my god Catholic gift shop where they have candy pebbles yeah. they contain traces of no- okay we're gonna be getting some of these for another <laughs> snack time i'm there's no way i'm not trying the the miracle water chocolates lord's sugar-coated mixed candy pebbles we're getting those yeah that's happening Ooh, we man. may as well hedge our our bets too. I mean, the more miracles, the, the better. The I, odds, I, think. I have some health problems, and I would like them cured, please. Same. So honestly, give me all the chocolate. There's like little fountains. People are going to come into the co- co- podcasting room, and it's just like full of like relics from lords. <laughs> it's like a very different. Like right now, it has our shadow box. It has a like little things of Mothman people have made us. 
some Halloween themed artwork, but maybe in the future it's just like holy water, holy water, mints, <laughs> pictures of Saint Bernadette. Please heal us. So amazing. Okay. Other updates. I know there's so many today. This is what happens now that we're fortnightly. Um, Sirhan Sirhan has been paroled. You may remember that we had your voice crush Mac on to talk about the assassination of RFK and whether or not Sirhan Sirhan was guilty. Mac's like, whoa, there's so much more to this than we talked about. So eventually we're going to have to have him on for an update. But he wants to do a deep dive. So he's going to do all that research we never do. Then come on the pod and tell us about it now that Sirhan Sirhan is being released. Yes. Other fascinating update. As you may remember when we talked about the murder of author Lois Duncan's daughter in Albuquerque, this was the murder of Caitlin Arquette, who was killed in her car. She was just driving to her boyfriend's house. And actually, when we talked about the segment, I didn't even realize that the Lois Duncan on Unsolved Mysteries was the same as the author who wrote, like, I know what you did last summer and teen books like that. Right. What you may remember is me calling Lois Duncan a racist <laughs> because she was convinced that, well, she was convinced that her daughter's boyfriend was involved because she had wanted to break up with her boyfriend. And she was also convinced that her her daughter's boyfriend was like involved in the, a Vietnamese gang and that, quote, the Vietnamese had gotten her daughter. Yeah. And I was like, in Albuquerque? I was pretty skeptical. Well, it turns out that a man confessed to that murder. Guess what? It was not her boyfriend. I feel so bad for him. His life has been, like, clouded in suspicion. This woman went on TV and accused him of murder and also of being in a gang. And And I haven't read her book that she wrote about her daughter's murder, but presumably... Yeah, she. Pro- I'm assuming she did write a whole book about how guilty he was. It was not him. So um, the Albuquerque police recently held a prof conference to announce that um, it was actually this guy, Paul Pakadaka, and he was originally discovered by a private investigator that Lois had hired. So, haha, guess what? Uh, when the police came to... So, so... Um, Caitlin Raquette is shot in her car, right? Um, she, like, drives... Her car keeps moving into, like, a light post or something and crashes. The police come to the scene, and there is a man standing right by her car. That was Paul Apodaca. Oh, really? They didn't question him. Oh, my God. They took down his name. They thought he was just driving by, and they let him go, and they never pursued it. They never ran his name. How did the private investigator find this out? Well, because he was like a witness. I think he's like in the, you know, police records as being at the scene. Okay. And they did take down his name, but they never like, you know, ran it through the criminal database. So they never found out that he actually had a very violent history with women. He at one point was in prison for raping a 14-year-old that he was related to. Um, he had had multiple violent convictions. And um, yeah, he's he's the person that did it. He's confessed. He went to the police and he said he had information on several murders. Several? 
Yes. And one of them was Caitlin Arquette. So there is an article from the Ruling Stone called Murder of Lois Duncan's Daughter, Caitlin Arquette Solved? Question mark. And um, da, 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 this is what it says. So uh, Paul Abdaka is now 53 and he told the officers he committed some murders and he wanted to talk about them. He confessed to three rapes and three murders. So the murders are the 1988 fatal stabbing of Athena Oakley, a 21 year old um, University of New Mexico student who was a t- also. OK, so that's one this 1988 stabbing he also confessed to the killing of a 21 year old um student who was attacked walking home in june 1988 it doesn't look like that name has been released or at least is not included right there in the article and then also um caitlin arquette so this guy was just wandering around just mad at women randomly killing people yeah. he said that it was a hatred of women that drove him to stab cool. oakley kill these other women um his quote is i think what made me do it what made me attack her as well all the hatred i had for women because growing up i would see men treating women bad and they they go for bad guys and i try to be nice and good and they just didn't want that so i was some in shell incel bullshit yes yes so i was jealous and had it's women's fault for not imagine not liking this dude hard to believe (laughs) Hard to believe women wouldn't go for him. Um, so, yeah. So, and the, the victims were chosen randomly as victims of opportunity. Oh, that's so terrible. Our, our cat was killed the summer after she graduated high school in what seemed like an inexplicable attack. She was driving. Driving down the road. Yep. And her, her path just happened across this dude. Yeah. And he was just a horrible person and pissed <sighs> off. And she did want to break up with her boyfriend, apparently she had told her friends that but her boyfriend is not involved and i'm sure was very upset about her death and also upset about being accused of a murder that he did not commit i imagine so also guess who it wasn't anyone who was of vietnamese descent i know i know so i feel slightly vindicated that i called lois duncan a racist (laughs) because yeah there's not violent vietnamese gangs overtaking albuquerque and killing people um uh oh it is sad that lois duncan is dead she died in i think 2016 yeah so she didn't hear me call her a racist but also she doesn't but i think that her private investigator had brought this name to her so she might have known that it was this guy and they just didn't have any evidence really to pursue it other than why was he standing right there and why did the cops never look into it my main takeaway from this is like wow i'm so glad we have the police yeah, they did a great job. They <laughs> did a great job. I'm so glad that the murderer was literally standing right there and they were like, have a good day, sir. Ugh. And they did absolutely nothing with that information and he just continued to be a violent asshole for a while. Presumably he had the gun on him. Like Yeah, I don't know that they ever found it, but it's not like they it's not like they searched him or his no. car or anything. I I don't know that they would need a warrant to search his car. I don't exactly know how that works, but it's they not could like have they, asked a few more questions. They didn't pursue anything with him. They literally just let him leave and then did no follow-up work. Like, if they had even run his name, they would see he had had, had a history of violence. And they didn't even do that. So he was literally standing right there. He didn't even try to get away. <sighs> it's extremely, extremely frustrating. It's very scary because it's so random. Um, poor Caitlin. 
even yeah. poor Lois Duncan, who was caught clearly like destroyed by the death of her daughter. Um, poor her yeah. boyfriend that got accused of murder. Like this sucks for everybody. Yeah, this sucks for Albuquerque that this guy was just like wandering around with no consequences. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Okay, but it is interesting how so many of these cases have been unsolved since unsolved mystery times and it seems like so many of them are just like just yeah, coming together a lot of them whether it's from familial dna or like this guy just randomly confessing yeah i'm not sure why he confessed now but he's just feeling guilty or so i don't know yeah he was just like hey guys i'm a total asshole and they were like huh tell us more We'll finally pursue some. If you literally come in, sit down, confess, sign some forms, maybe we'll do something about it. It's wild because presumably he could have just continued to live his life forever. It doesn't seem like they were no. on his trail at all. No. I mean, it seems like the private investigator was like, wow, the police should have looked into this, but he didn't have the power to like search right. his house or, you know, whatever. Or any and also, evidence or anything. Yeah. And also, it had, you know, at this point, maybe been decades. Like, he could have gotten rid of the gun or whatever. It's kind of, like, too late because the police dropped the ball so phenomenally. Oh, Okay, so I had one more thing that I want to touch on before we actually get to this episode. Oh, my God, I know. The updates, people. Is that we got a note from someone. I think this was in relation to our page, a Patreon episode. I but we so. had, We had been talking about lizard people, and someone was like, hey, just to, like, heads up that sometimes lizard people is used for code for jewish people and it has some anti-semitic roots and i was like oh i guess that makes sense but i never really thought about it um so i said i would address it on the show that's certainly not like the way that we meant it even in googling it it seems like a lot of times people are referring to like literal lizards I think at this point, those beliefs are so entwined with these beliefs that, like, the world is secretly controlled by, like, a cabal of of Jewish people. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can separate the two. Okay. Um, But it's hard because it is so easy to joke about. But you have to remember that, like, it's, that's not really, that's not funny to a lot of people. (laughs) And I think that's maybe where we got lost in, in discussing it is, like, it's so easy to make fun of people who like truly believe that there might be lizard people controlling the government. That yeah. It's easy to forget that it has sinister roots. Yeah. The idea to me that like Joe Biden is like leaving the over office and taking off a plastic mask and like literally underneath is a lizard. Like that seems very funny, but I guess it makes sense that it's like tied to this whole like Illuminati, like, right there's like yeah the shadowy cartel cabal whatever is actually ruling everything and of course they're jewish and lizards apparently but also it's sort of i couldn't find an article in my like 15 minutes of giggling that directly tied it to so it seems to be related to reptilian aliens right like that makes sense i think so but then also there's that the obviously racist idea of Ari- the Aryans, mm-hmm. the aliens that are just like perfect white people. Yes. Which is actually like books about that is where Hitler got a bunch of his ideas, blah, blah, blah. So I think there's probably something to like, there's the reptilians, there's the, ali- the Aryans, there's like perfect white people, there's Jewish, I don't know. I don't know. You walk a fine line when you make jokes about it because it is so sinister, but at the same time, so ridiculous. 
Yeah, yeah. What I didn't realize is that, um, you know how there was that horrible bombing in Nashville, but then we just like immediately stopped talking about it? Yes. That yeah, guy. Like in Christmas? Was that the one yeah. that happened on Christmas? Yeah. That guy, obviously, was like a big QAnon guy, but he was like a lizard. He was like believed in lizard people. Oh, my God. So it, even if something sounds very silly, like that sounds very silly to me. It has can have violent, yes, real-world consequences. Yes. That this guy was like, we need to fight back. I don't know how exactly that ties into, like, bombing part of Nashville, but in his mind it did. Yeah. Right? Like, right. he believed in all that stuff and was like, and thought, I'm sure in his own mind, thought he was doing something good. Yeah. Well, and I, I believe this came up the most. I'm not sure if this this episode was the one the listener was listening to, but when we were talking about um, the flat earth documentary and that one person specifically in the documentary, and I'm not sure he ever brought up lizard people, but it would not surprise me at all to to learn that he believed in reptilians. Um, But he who believed in all that nonsense and he was, you know, very anti-vax and we're, we're seeing that the real life consequences that play out before our very eyes, like never before. So all of these beliefs have yeah as silly as they may be it's probably too easy to dismiss uh dismiss them as being just silly when really they have a body count well yeah you say that as you eat your horse paste samantha (laughs) you're like oh apple flavored i have actual horses okay i have a legitimate reason to own horse paste paste. i'm not eating it I keep sending Samantha things I see on the internet about people eating horse paste, which if you're not aware, some people, actually a shocking number of people think that will like keep them from getting COVID or cure COVID. The problem with that is that it can cause blindness and a whole host of other ailments. You shouldn't, it goes medicine. you shouldn't eat horse medicine. <laughs> It's medicine to deworm horses and COVID isn't a worm and you are not a horse. And I know that maybe you would like to be a beautiful horse with a beautiful mane running through a field, but again, it can cause blindness. I so. saw a meme recently that was like an Animorphs cover that was oh a guy turning God. into a horse and it just said when when the horse pace kicks in. Oh <laughs> maybe that's God. what people think will happen to them. They'll turn into a beautiful That's horse. what you want to happen. That's, that's why you have wrong. That's why you have that pace, and I know it. Okay, moving on. Now we actually get to talk about half an hour in. We can actually talk about this episode of Unsolved Mysteries. All right, and there's four four mysteries in this four one. Four mysteries. So, so go in for a long episode, folks. If you've gotten this far, it uh, it's you know it's solid. There's some stuff to talk about here. We're on season six, episode nineteen, which I recommend you watch on the old YouTube's uh for free, ad free. The first segment is the unexplained, and this is something we have not talked about before, but this is about something called therapeutic touch or healing touch, or as Robert Stick Stack insists on repeatedly calling it TT. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Why is this called healing touch when you don't actually touch anyone? I mean, I guess that's what differentiate. That's what makes it not touch. That's why it's healing touch. But you're not touching anything. No. So I, when I started watching this, was like, isn't this just Reiki? Um, but Reiki is has Japanese origins, and therapeutic touch actually comes to us through the Theosophical Society. Hmm. So 
to me, a person who knows nothing, I was like, isn't that the same thing? But apparently not. So anyway, um, we got a few stories about healing touch, which Robert Sack tells us, to the layman, therapeutic touch sounds pretty wild. And I guess I'm a layman because I'm not a believer. But go on. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, this is a story at first about Janet Ziegler in, uh, I believe, Pittsburgh in 1984. She drove her three boys to martial arts class, and they were running late. They, like, run into the building. And the last one, I think he's taking off his boots or something, but his his hand gets slammed in the door to the building, and it cuts off one of his fingers. <laughs> yeah. Which is now my new... I knew that could happen in a car door, but I never thought of that happening in, like, a door door. It, like, pinched off his finger. It's my new nightmare. It wasn't I a sharp... It. it wasn't a sharp door. It, like, no. crushed his finger and his <laughs> finger came off. I hate it so much. I hate it so much. But his mom's response to this could so- not be more funny to me and absurd. <laughs> So this kid is seven years old. He loses his finger in the door. I'm sure he's like in shock and he doesn't really realize what happened. He runs to his mom that's parked the car and he's like, my, my finger got pinched in the door and she, he holds up her, his hand and the mom goes, wait, where is your finger? Because it is not attached to his hand. But then her response to that is to start doing therapeutic touch. She says, stop, close your eyes. Her response is not, oh my God, I'm going to put pressure on it. I'm not going to throw you in the car and race you to the hospital. I'm going to pause and do therapeutic touch for probably, I mean, it was probably like 10 seconds. But to me, (laughs) I can't imagine a more opposite response that I might have or that almost anyone would have. Also, the kid who is now a teenager and no longer seven, like, comes on screen to insist to you that he didn't cry. And you're like, okay, dude, sure. (laughs) I believe you. So um, after doing the therapeutic touch for a while, she goes to the door and she finds his mashed up finger in the door jam. And she, like, at length explains how it didn't even look like a finger anymore, but it was the only thing there. So it must have been it. She, like, picked it up and plopped Blech. it in her purse. This is the most mom thing I've ever heard in my life. She goes and fishes the mashed finger out of the door jam and just, like, puts it in her purse and takes him to the doctor. I hate it so much. And I'm it's never like The most extreme children. of, like, licking your finger yeah. and, like, wiping your kid's snot or whatever. Just like, oh, let's go get your finger and get you to the hospital. Is this mangled gray blob my child's finger? Probably. It doesn't have a nail on it and just looks like mush, but whatever. So um, they go to the emergency room and the doctor says, look, this finger is barely a finger and it's not going to reattach. And she's like, look, you got to try. My seven-year-old son is a pianist. And obviously, (laughs) I don't know why, but her having like complete faith that her seven-year-old is going to keep playing the piano and needs this (laughs) finger is hilarious to me. I was like, he's seven. Like, I understand you want your kid to have all his fingers, but like maybe not because of the piano. (laughs) Whatever. So the doctor's like, all right, lady, and reattaches the finger. And then the very next day, they go to see the, the plastic surgeon. And the plastic surgeon is like, there is no way that finger's staying on there. Come back later. And they seem to go like every week for the same update. Where he's it just seems like, like he looks at the finger, tells them it's going to fall off, and they go along on their merry way. How good is their insurance? Anyway, yeah. So they just keep doing that for a while. After eight weeks, they remove the bandages and the finger looks perfectly fine. It's reattached. He can move it. He has sensation. It doesn't look all weird. 
And the doctors are like very impressed. And they're also, they were also very impressed that he was like not screaming bloody murder at the uh, emergency room. And she's like doing therapeutic touch while he's sitting there. And the doctor's like, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. And I, I mean, honestly, it probably is like a breathing exercise. It probably did work to calm a kid down. It doesn't seem like the worst idea in the world. If you have a seven year old with a missing finger to like have them you know, breathe in, I'm going to, I'm going to send some some calming energy into you I, I don't think it's gonna help him grow a finger back but I, I do think it's probably not the worst <laughs> thing you could do the kid is not a starfish but I mean I think okay look I work at an acupuncture clinic I used to work for an aromatherapist I'm not like totally not granola I'm, I'm not this crunchy I'm not buying it I think the kid was in shock I yeah. think that, I mean, that could also be true. I think his finger fell off and he's now just like, what? <laughs> I don't know. But having his mom tell him to breathe and obviously like tending to him probably doesn't hurt. No, right? I don't it's think it's going to help his finger reattach. No. I think he probably just got lucky. Yeah. I don't think that's why it regenerated. He's seven. His, his body is like, you know, made to bounce back. I don't know. All right, so oh, and then we get we get a we get a, some footage of now teenage Michael playing the piano like fine, he's fine. He's in probably his best sweater. He was very proud yeah. of that. That appearance on Unsolved Mysteries where he got to play. He was a good pianist, so I guess it's a good thing he grew his finger back. You know, you know how every school has one kid that's really good at the piano. I bet he was that kid. Absolutely. Now, literally every school has that kid. <laughs> But he was the kid at his school. And if he moved, there was probably like a kid that would have taken his place. It was like the second best, but his school, he was never If one. his finger would have never grown back, he would have, that kid could have shined, but nope. No. And then some nurse comes on to tell us that this is baloney. And I have to go, I don't disagree. Um, we're told that this was developed by Dolores Krieger in the 70s. And that the idea of therapeutic church is to channel the power of compassion. Which that nurse that they interview was nice about it. She was like, I think the nurses who pr- who practice therapeutic touch really care about their patients. I just don't think it's actually doing anything. Yeah. I mean, I guess we haven't really described what therapeutic touch looks like, but it just looks like you're holding your hands maybe like an inch away from someone and like moving them around. Again, not touching them. No, you're not touching them. You're I guess just your energy is touching. Probably Zach describes it as your energy is going into their body. I don't know if that's actually what a therapeutic touch practitioner would say. Maybe it's fancier than that, but yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so now we get one more story about this. Um, this is about George and Marie. Marie, um, I said, gives birth badly. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's true. <laughs> she was pre-eclampsia, I think. Well, look, I, sorry, Marie. I also was terrible at being born. So, you know, Join the club, I guess. Um, so her baby was uh, three months premature, Mariah. Um, so both her and her baby were in pretty bad shape at the hospital. We do have a mustache here from George. There's there's sort of George's actual mustache. Okay. When I look at George, <laughs> I imagine he runs a pizza restaurant named Sal's. And the pizza's okay. like, okay. And the yeah. root beer is like too fizzy and comes in a plastic cup. 
And uh-huh. looking at this guy's face made me crave root beer like nothing else. <laughs> now that you say that, I really could go for a slice of mediocre pizza and some root beer. I know. It's like this too guy- greasy. You kind of have to like dab your napkin on it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like super proud of it. And you're like, yeah, yeah Sal. Except his name's George. You're like, yeah, Sal. This is like, okay. Uh, so definitely his mustache is called Bowling Alley Pizza. He also looks like he could own a bowling alley. So it was sort of like the pizza you would get at a bowling alley, and it's like a little bit better than you would expect at a bowling alley. Yep. But goddamn, yep. do I want a root beer. Now I want a root beer now. Again, talking about this. So there's also the actor who plays George. He has a slightly different mustache, and that's the Mike Ditka. He fucking looks exactly like Mike <laughs> Ditka. Um, everybody from Chicago knows who I'm talking about. The most annoying person ever. Mike Ditka. He's on everything. Wow, there's so many mustaches in this episode. There really are. Growing up, my dad used to joke that uh, he had installed a Mike Ditka filter on the TV that was supposed to edit him out. (laughs) So then every time we saw Mike Ditka, which was constantly, because he was in every commercial for everything, we would go, Dad, the filter's not working. (sighs) Anyway, little, little window into the Walker lifestyle. So back to our actual story, uh, the mom and the baby were in bad shape. The baby was actually baptized because they were worried that um, Mariah was not going to make it, and she was put on a respirator. So a, nor- a nurse named Joanne O'Reilly offered to perform therapeutic touch for the baby, and the baby immediately improved. How legit is this? Do you think this hospital wants their nurse running around doing this with with patients little babies i was kind of like is this on your own time giving family i don't know does it does it give the family a little bit of false hope i don't even know if that's like is that ethical right well i was kind of my thought on this was if a nurse is taking the time to give your baby therapeutic touch it's definitely going to get the attention it needs for like actual things sure so probably Probably patients who get therapeutic touch are actually like being attended to and they probably do do better because yeah. the healthcare practitioners are around and they're, they're not spending just, like, more time with them. Right. They're right. paying closer attention. Maybe they care a little bit more because they're willing to go above and beyond. Yeah. So to me, I was like, yeah, the ba- they got better. They had this nurse around all the time going, ooh, uh. <laughs> but I mean, whatever works, whatever God got Janine to stay in the room, I guess. Um, George was like, look, I'm an accountant. So that was a shock to me that he didn't run a bowling alley or a pizza restaurant and that he believed the numbers. But when he saw therapeutic touch being performed and the, the baby's numbers improving oxygen level, whatever, then he was like, oh, this works. And I was like, I think that's a little more coincidence, but whatever makes you happy, George. The nurse also performed therapeutic touch on his wife, Marie, and she also improved. So both of them were like, Thank you, Therapeutic Touch. Thank you, Janine O'Reilly. I think We're... Marie was just improving. Like, she was just... That was, like, the natural progression of her healing. But... I mean, yeah, again, a little extra attention can't, can't hurt. Nah, nah, and did so. Marie have a spectacular mullet? Yes, she did. <laughs> it's, like, all spiky on the top. She has sideburns and then a mullet. It's very, like, Janine and Ghostbusters. I don't know. It's something. It is something. And George is wearing an amazing color block sweatshirt, which would actually like kind of be in style now. Cause kids, you're you're really you're really out there in some unsolved mysteries fashion. <laughs> That's what the kids are wearing these days. Okay. So the very last part of this segment is that we get to see therapeutic touch being performed. So they have Vicky 
who has chronic bronchitis that has turned into asthma get uh, therapeutic touch from the same woman from this hospital, Janine O'Reilly. And Vicky reports, and it's just, it's really just her moving her hands around. And she reports that it made her feel relaxed, centered, and it did help her reduce her coughing. We learned from Vicky that she recently lost a lot of members of her family when her health declined. Her brother, her sister, and her mom had all passed away, which is so sad. And I think maybe that is actually more of the problem. And maybe talking about it a bit helped. So she said that the treatment allowed her to reduce her medication. Um, at the end of the episode, Robert Stack is like, don't try this without proper training. And I was like, okay, I won't. I won't move the energy around. Don't worry. What would be the consequences of doing this without training? Death. Oh, God. <laughs> I have no idea. But you were specifically warned not to do it without the proper training. So don't try it at home, folks. All right. It's Samantha's turn. Yes. And we have um, an unexplained death. And this one's kind of a hard one to talk about yeah it's not fun so we're talking about the death of tony lombardi his family believes he was murdered the police say it was suicide what do you think right off the bat i think it was probably suicide really okay all right there are a few things that are suspicious but i don't know that there's enough evidence for me i don't know i'm not sure um, okay, so the Lombardis were, uh, Robert, Stack, Robert Stack describes them as a typical middle-class family living in Columbus, Ohio. Or actually, they were in a suburb of Columbus, Ohio uh, called Westerville. But on August 30th, 1990, Cheryl Lombardi, um, a housewife and mother, made a tragic discovery, one that Robert Stack says would forever rip the family from the tranquility of suburban life. Wow. Um... Cheryl had come home uh, around midnight. She assumed that her 22-year-old son, Tony, uh, would also be home soon. According to Cheryl, at around 12.45 a.m., she heard a door closing and the sound of footsteps. She went into Tony's room to say goodnight. Uh, It was there that Cheryl discovered the lifeless body of her son. Police arrived shortly after at around 1.15 a.m., and they discovered that Tony's car was missing from the garage, perhaps stolen by the assailant. According to Sergeant Michael Hotso, the investigation moved (laughs) swiftly and, according to him, by the book. Is that his name, Hotso? H-A-T-Z-O. Yeah, Hotso. Hotso. Hatso? Maybe it's Hatso. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. Sorry. So he says that it's typical procedure uh, to treat all death scenes as a homicide until it's proven otherwise. So inside, on the floor near the body, the police found a thirty-eight caliber semi-automatic pistol. On the bed was a single spent thirty-eight caliber shell. And then investigators found a drunk driving citation in Tony's pants pocket, um, which they discovered that is the reason why his car wasn't there. It had been impounded because two days before his death, he had been arrested for driving while intoxicated. Oh, Tony. Yeah. Um, So in addition, Tony had faced fines and a possible suspension of his driver's license. Sheriff Hotzo now had a portrait of a young man who had been, according to Robert Stack, stripped of his freedom and despondent over impending legal problems. Stripped of his freedom. That's what happens when your car is impounded. Yeah, he was still free. It's a little dramatic. Yeah. So at this point, they start to wonder if his death may have been a suicide. However, for Cheryl Lombardi, her son's death was 
nothing short of cold-blooded murder, according to Robert Stack. So she believes that there was a struggle. He had an inch and a half gash over his left eye. He had a broken jaw and he had bruises. Um, she said he was also found nude, which was not like him at all. He doesn't believe that he would ever, she doesn't believe that he would ever want anyone to see him nude. I mean, that does kind of makes sense to me because he lived with his parents. Yeah. She, although she says that they should have looked into that. And I'm not really sure how they sh- were supposed <laughs> to have looked into the fact that he was naked. I'm not sure that they would be able to confirm or deny that he took off his own clothes. I'm not really sure what she wanted the police to do with that information, but um, I shouldn't it, laugh. But I'm just trying to imagine how that would be investigated. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry, Cheryl. Uh, I think we're gonna have to take your word on that one. So, based on her observations that morning, she believes that not only was her son murdered, but the killer was still in Tony's bedroom even after she moved about the house. That is terrifying to think. It kind of is scary to think about. So her evidence, um, Robert Stack calls it disarmingly simple. Um, So the light in Tony's bedroom was one. She says that she was going up and down the steps. And while she was kind of like getting ready for bed or whatever. And she said that she could see her son's room uh, through her son's bedroom door that the light, that there was no light on at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And she went up and down quite a few times. And she said there was no way that she could have missed the light being on. And that's why she thought he wasn't home yet. Uh, because the light was off. So, um, but could he have turned it on before killing himself? Yeah, that's kind of what I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, 45 minutes later, she said that she heard the door closing and the light in Tony's room was now on, which again could have been him. I'm not really sure what there is to suggest that it was an intruder, but um, so she assumed that he had finally come home. And when she opened the, so she went and she like knocked on his door and uh, was calling for him and he wasn't answering. And when he didn't answer, she panicked and opened the door, which is when she saw him dead. Hmm. The only thing that's confusing to me is, is how she like wouldn't have heard. And this is maybe why they, they don't really get into it. But what I think she's really getting to here is that she didn't hear a gunshot. She heard someone moving around. Um, so she, I think maybe believes that he was shot before she got home around midnight and the killer was still in the house having killed him right. because she i don't think she heard the gun going off which I, I guess that is something i can't explain is if she didn't hear a gunshot then presumably he was already dead when she got home so then who turned the light on if it was indeed off okay okay it's confusing sp- the way it was presented in the show yeah they could have spelled that out a little better yeah so cheryl obviously believes that the killer uh had been trapped in tony's bedroom when she arrived home and she thinks that he surprised she surprised him uh when she went to her bedroom to get ready for bed um that that was possibly when he left is when she was in her room uh so to tony's parents there was further evidence pointing to murder in the weeks before he died tony had been the target of two different death threats so there was a woman who lived next door who witnessed the driver of a white pickup truck screaming at Tony. This appeared to be like a road rage incident. Mm. Um, and he, he was like screaming about how if, if, if he ever got cut off by Tony again, he would come and kill him. Um, and then uh, a few days later, uh, Tony Lombardi senior, who was Tony's father overheard a second death threat. Um, he said, I was checking my messages and I heard this threat over voicemail. It was a it was a young man telling Tony that he had a gun and was going to use it if Tony didn't stay away from his girlfriend. Um, man, this is a fucking bad week. 
not good not good at all you, you drive drunk you lose your car you have tickets and legal problems and two dudes say they're gonna kill you yeah it's kind of wild. So Tony's mm-hmm. best friend, Andy Royer, agreed to mediate between the two men who were having this this conflict over uh, this guy's girlfriend. Um, he told Tony that he would talk to the guy and see see what his deal was. Um, and he uh, said that his Hi. problem... Talk to your girlfriend. Obviously, the <laughs> two know. of you should break up. This is not working. Uh, this but is not... Kind of not Tony's problem. It kind of isn't. I don't, I'm not sure that Tony was doing anything. Maybe he was talking to his girlfriend. Uh, and apparently, even if, he, even if he's banging this guy's girlfriend, it's time for you guys to break up. Yeah. Don't I be agree. calling people telling you you're going to kill them. What? Yeah. So apparently when Tony's friend Andy went and talked to this guy, the guy said uh, that Tony was going to get what was coming to him. Mm-hmm. So Tony's parents disputed the official conclusion drawn from some of the physical evidence. Um, Sh- Cheryl Lombardi also did like a test with the, so there was a, a bullet hole in his headboard and Tony, when they found him was propped up on three pillows. So his head was kind of higher than this bullet hole. Um, and she was able to stick a pencil into the bullet hole and you could see that the trajectory, I'm a little confused by the trajectory, honestly, because it seems like it's, it's pointing up as if like yeah. the, the the gunshot had come this is kind of why i think it, it might actually be suicide because the the gunshot trajectory i don't think supports her conclusion that so he was murdered because it's coming from pretty low on the bed um that said like the unsolved mysteries clearly asked the detective about this discrepancy between like where his head was found and where the bullet hole was and they didn't really have a good answer he just kind of acknowledged it without actually disputing it so you know it's it's not as black and white as we would hope as far as like was it suicide could it have been murder i don't think there was a note so that again is is unusual Um, i mean i guess my question would be is he dying literally instantly like would he have the chance to move on the bed before possibly possibly so yeah. and we don't hear actually i don't think where the where he was shot i think it was in his head but we, yeah you know, they're they're a little vague on some of the details so yeah and and no one no one in this show appears to be like a, a bullet trajectory expert we don't hear from a coroner we don't hear from a medical examiner so it's hard to make sense of the evidence that that is presented in the show i mean we see tony's mom put the pencil in there and we kind of she stacks up his pillows and you can see okay well his head was up here but the bullet hole is down here but again the bullet hole seems to be pointing up as if maybe he had it in his hand down low i'm not i'm not sure but again i'm not an expert so and we don't hear from any right what do we know yeah there were also Very some little bruising on his chest um but again we don't hear from a medical examiner like explaining what that bruising could be from cheryl thinks that someone was forcing him him down like someone was, was standing on him potentially um when they shot him but then i wonder again why the bullet didn't come from above if that was the case if someone was standing on him that's yeah. confusing to me i can um, see why she's skeptical um, particularly with him getting these death threats. But it, yeah. I, it does make me want, it seems like a few people were mad with Tony. I'm kind of wondering, and since we don't hear from a medical examiner, if those bruises, he didn't get his ass kicked before right. committing suicide. And it maybe, seems like he had some beefs with some people. So it's not 
that unusual maybe that he had a cut on his eye. See, ori- originally I was taking those um, indications of him being beat up to mean that someone had killed him, but actually we don't hear anyone say that those have to have been at the same time. No. So I kind of wonder if he just had like the absolute worst week and gave up. Yeah, and I, I honestly think that what... Uh, his mom may have heard was him moving around potentially, or maybe she was imagining hearing something. Honestly, she doesn't, the just the noise she describes, I can't say for certain that it wasn't just her wanting to believe that she heard him moving around or that it couldn't have been something else because it doesn't seem she's like not, she's, she's not clear on it. She just interpreted it as, oh, he came home and then she went yeah. to his room, but she can't even really say for sure what that noise is. What just in her mind, like... she was like, oh, there's Tony. And I know what she's talking about, that you associate certain noises with certain people being in the house, but that doesn't prove that, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Why wouldn't they have taken the gun with them, though? Why you leave the gun laying there on the floor? Unless, I guess, I mean, she might say that they wanted to to frame it as a suicide. I don't know. Or they didn't want to be found with the gun. Yeah. I don't know. This one isn't totally black and white, but I'm I'm leaning towards suicide. Sorry, Tony's to Tony's family. But you know, it could be wrong. I do like I wrote down my only note for this whole segment is this mom is a bad bitch because at the very end she's like, I'm devoting the rest of my life to figuring this out. And if it doesn't happen by the time I'm dead dead, I'll do it from the afterlife. <laughs> she's just like, fuck this. I am figuring out what happened to my son. She's like so determined. Yeah, I I have to appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Ugh, so sad. Okay, this is a slightly more um lighthearted one, though it does deal with American imperialism and racism. So yep. let's get into this. Okay, this one made lost me cry. Law. It's, the ending is very sweet. Oh. So hang in there. Okay. In Hawaii, we meet Mitchell Shigamento. No, Shigimoto. Um, He is looking for the man who saved his life during the Vietnam War. So in 1963, Mitchell was only 17 years old when he volunteered with the 173rd Airborne Division. Um, Mitchell was the smallest guy in basic training and the only uh, Asian American in his company. So (laughs) we get this like um, Vietnam War historian to come on and tell you that that was a rough situation. Guess what? That didn't go well. Uh, that guy has a mustache. Just a big poofy mustache that I called the historian. You're like, no no shit, that guy's a historian. So, um, originally uh, the 173rd Airborne Division went to Okinawa to the Air Force Base there. And guess what? The other soldiers were total assholes to Mitchell. One example of that is I guess they used to get paid only monthly and in cash. Sounds like a terrible system, but anyway, someone stole all his money for the month. Um, and at one point there was only one soldier who stood up for him and that was James Pearson. Um, and we see a reenactment of him coming over to invite him to come out with his friends and Mitchell politely declining. And I don't know if James knew that he had had his money stolen or he like figures out the reason he's not going to come with them is because he doesn't have any money. So he just like drops 20 bucks on his bed and walks off, (laughs) which is very, you know, he's like 
He's like, oh, you're like too proud to admit it. So like, here's $20. Yeah. So um, the next time I think that James offered, he did go out with them. So he was like regularly partying with James and his other. And so James is African-American. He's going out to party with other black soldiers in a like part of Okinawa that other black soldiers would go to party in, which was apparently called Four Corners. Sounds fascinating. And because uh, Mitchell was with James, everybody like welcomed him and was super nice to him. Anyway, in 1965, they are shipped out to Vietnam, where his race continued to be a problem with the other U.S. soldiers. And we have a reenactment of this guy not wanting to serve him food, which is just fucking great. Uh, but James always stood up with stood up for him. So he like goes and is like, if you have a problem with Mitchell, you have a problem with me. And basically, I'm going to kick your ass. So yep. <laughs> that Mitchell could get his Mitchell could just get like his actual like meal for the day. Yeah. Um. I mean, ugh, I have so many thoughts and feelings about this. It's horrible. It's it's horrible. Like, I think, I don't, do I need to go on like another tirade about American imperialism? There's no reason for, 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 for us to have been there at all. But. And he was 17 years old and what he yeah, had to go through. I know. For just for everybody to be so shitty to him. And I do think that the army and probably the air force like definitely uses a lot of like racial hatred to motivate people. And like you get, they, they want to emphasize this like us versus them mentality to encourage you to, you know, go out and kill people. Uh, the backside of that is uh, there's people in your own fucking company that that is going to apply to. I don't, well, there was a, a, a guy from the military. I don't know what his God background damn. is necessarily, but he's interviewed from the show and he says, when, when I was in Vietnam and we were killing people who looked just like him. So I can't imagine how hard how hard it was for us. It had to have been even harder for him. And it's like, God fucking damn. Oh, yeah. That guy was that was the historian. That was Mark okay, Ludlow. And I really just wrote down this quote of him saying it was tough. But yeah, he does actually make this nice point of like, I cannot possibly put myself in Mitchell's shoes. Like he was in a very difficult position. Um, I know the guy was 17 when he originally signed up. So I'm not going to judge him. But, you know, if your family or you were affected by the war, that's <laughs> judge away. That's your business. But we're getting to the drama of the story, which was in January of 1966. Mitchell was shot in combat through the thigh. So James and another soldier, who's only identified as Salazar, and we never hear anything else about him, pull him to safety. Um, when he's there, a medic comes by and gives him a shot of pain meds. Um, that was kind of it. The medic had other people to go treat. So um, James and this other guy, Salazar, decide that they're going to carry Mitchell to an evacuation point so he can get out because they don't think he would be able to make it on his own having been shot through the thigh. And Which apparently against the rules yeah well, there's supposed to be a no man left behind like what happened to that they were clearly, supposed to just leave him on the clearly, ground and go about their mission clearly i don't understand the middle because that was my reaction too i was like i thought you didn't leave people but apparently they were supposed to be going on with their mission because he'd been treated by a medic i think even though the medic like couldn't evacuate him because he had other people in worse shape to deal with so they were like fuck this we're taking him to the evacuation point ourselves and i think they were like not following orders or something doing that but um but they did successfully get mitchell to the evacuation point we see a reenactment of the guy being like put on a stretcher and i think he got helicoptered out of there and he gets to like say 
like a brief bye to James Pearson, but he never sees him again. He doesn't return to the um he doesn't return to the 173rd Airborne. He doesn't go back to the war. He's actually sent home after he's treated. So he never sees James again and he never got to thank him for saving his life and like doing this thing he's kind of not supposed to do. Um, when this first aired, a retired colonel watched the segment and took it upon himself to track down James. After one week, he was located in Chicago. Then James, his fiance, and his two daughters flew out to Hawaii to visit Mitchell, and we get to see the reenactment. And it's just the cutest thing ever. Crying. It is so cute. They're the big sign they have for him to welcome yeah. him there. His they family. Traditional, like they put the lay on him. Oh, his family makes like this huge welcome banner, and they have like clearly like organized this huge like garden party with all these folding chairs and stuff. And and James comes out, and like basically they're like running towards each other, like, kind of in like a romantic <laughs> movie because they're so happy to see each other, and. They're just like, I'm not sure I've ever seen people smile so much. And the Unsolved Mysteries crew or whatever asks James what it feels like to be back together. And he says, they haven't come up with a word yet. When they come up with it, I'll write you and let you know. <laughs> There's no word for how I'm feeling right now. That I was, It was so sweet. They were so, and they were just like, oh my God, you look the same, which is like clearly not true. No, they show a picture of them at the end. It's not true at all. This but guy was, was like a scrawny little teenager when he signed up. Like, there's no way. But anyway, they apparently spent a week together yeah. talking the whole time. I don't know. It's so cute and sweet. And I'm just so happy for them that they got back together and that they didn't die in a pointless war. Yeah, me too. It's the happiest ending. I, this is why I love Lost Love so much. It's so sweet. I was like, uh, you know, I don't like the war ones, but I think actually the race element of this gives a, sort of an interesting dimension to it. It's not just a guy who got a hand job from a nurse that he's still tracking down. <laughs> and I just love this little story of friendship. It's really, really sweet and touching. And yeah, he stood up for his friend and then they got separated. And he said, like, I know I was supposed to not carry him to the point, but he was like, there's no way I was going to do that. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I'm not going to just leave him there to die. He was my friend. Like, absolutely not. I was like, he just seems like a stand up dude. Yeah. I agree. The nicest thing I could say about anyone. You have my respect, James. All right. We've got one more. Two more. What? One more. Sorry. I was like, what? I was like, did I turn it off before it was over? You scared me. You scared me. This is mine and it's a wanted. Okay, good. Okay, good. We're on the, we're on, I was like, there is? That means it's mine and I have no idea what it is. You're like, Liz, do you see that one where the mummy ate people's brains? No. (laughs) What? Yeah, you didn't take notes on the last segment that was 20 minutes long. Is this a nightmare come to life? Yeah, exactly. Okay, no, this is the last one, and it's a wanted. We're looking for David Vieira. David Vieira is one. Total asshole, David Vieira. (laughs) Yeah, he has a mustache, but he's not eligible for MVM because he's a huge dirtbag. I hate him. He is wanted for the murder of his 31-year-old wife, Alice. So Alice and David were from from traditional Catholic Portuguese families, and they were in, Unsolved Mysteries doesn't call this, but they were in an arranged marriage. They were actually first cousins. Yeah. They had both mm. been born on the island of St. Michael. He proposes 
when she's 11 too yes and robert stack says well most basically while most families would dismiss this as like childish behavior or whatever infatuation their family took it very seriously and and was basically like, well, ordered her to 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 reciprocate and so that they could be paired like, together well you're gonna be marrying your cousin and she's like i'm 11 like too bad he proposed i was like this is the worst possible fate this is so terrible i know and then he goes on to be a huge abusive douchebag so Ugh. she was a twin and so for a lot of this segment we hear from her her sister who is describing what their life was like in a very strict household her father would not allow them to wear makeup have friends really even leave the house she said that they could come home do their homework presumably like chores and then and that's it. She said they couldn't even sit on the front step. I can't I don't even understand. Like people might see them. They weren't. Yeah, they weren't allowed to sit on the porch. Why? I have no. I have. No they idea. might see a boy. Probably. Yeah, Ugh. they weren't allowed to have. They definitely weren't allowed to have boyfriends. So when she was nine, her and her family moved. You're to- marrying your cousin, and that's final. <laughs> so, so horrible. So she was Ugh. nine. Her and her family moved to Bedford, New Bedford. Sorry. Um. Uh, when she was 12, that is when David began writing to her and asking her to marry him. Robert's deck says even more surprising was that her parents took it seriously, which is surprising. That is surprising and gross. They corresponded through letters for five years. They never actually spoke in person or on the phone. Um Alice and David met for the first time in the summer of 1974. On June 29th, they were, I think the same year, they were married on the island of, island of St. Michael. At the time, he was 16 and she was 17. She that thought that not, she would... That should not be allowed. It shouldn't. Nope. No. Nope. Nope. So she thought that she would finally gain some freedom from being away from her parents at this point, which is very depressing. Um... I can't wait to marry my 16-year-old cousin because then my parents can't tell me what to do. And it's like, oh, but it'll be worse. Yeah, it will be. So her and her sister actually got married in the same ceremony. They had, like, matching dresses. We see some footage tw- from it's it. A, it's a twin wedding, guys. Yeah, a twin A, a twin, twin wedding. wedding. It, it kind of blew my mind. I Are any twins out there going to get married at the same time as your twin? Because can you invite us? I want to be there. If it was me, I feel like I would need to be like the the bride, the center stage. I couldn't share it with anyone, but that's probably. Not I want. I, like I want to see the whole thing. I want to see like two matching cakes, two matching. Dr- it just sounds wild to me. I love the invi- idea of it. Please invite me. That's a I whole think, vibe. I think you should have matching dresses, but they're like a slightly different color or something. Ooh, yeah, one like is white me. and one is ivory. <laughs> one is like blush. One is cream. I don't know. Ooh, yeah. I like yeah. this. You should. Can you start a business planning only twin weddings? Yes. You I would also. Be... You could do like best friend weddings. It doesn't. You don't have to be sisters. Or oh, that would be so cute. Or best brothers. Wedding. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cute? I feel like there's going to be if this pandemic ever fucking ends. There's going to be a run on venues, right? Like suddenly, all these yeah. marriages that have been postponed. Put off. So yeah, get married with your friend. Just everybody get married at once. Sure. <laughs> 20 people at a time. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's just go out and get ordained and do it. Okay. I'll do it. Absolutely. I'll get ordained and start marrying twins. That sounds fun. That sounds amazing. So the couple settled in New Bedford and uh, David found a job at a textile plant. Um, within a year, uh, 
Alice was pregnant with their first child. So, uh, according to Unsolved Mysteries, the marriage seemed happy at first. I feel like happy might be relative here, but, uh, but but David soon began surprise surprise, uh, to act just like her father, allow, uh, refusing to allow her to wear makeup or leave the house without his permission. He also, I'm sure you're going to get to this, but he's beating her and their children and their children. And when she brings this information to her parents and says, you know, I think I want to leave David. He's beating me and our three children. Her par- their parents' response was, well, you can't leave him because you can't di- you can't divorce him. We're against divorce. I was like, well, also, I didn't pick him, you jerks. <laughs> and now he's beating us. You made me marry my cousin because he proposed when I was 12. And now he's an abusive asshole. I- How is this my fault? Ugh. I, so I wish for Alice. I wish this mystery was that she slowly poisoned him to death, but it's not. <laughs> Sadly, it's not. So by 1981, David and Alice end had... was like, "Let's help this woman get away with murder," and everybody would be like, "Okay, that's Robert Stack in his trench coat." <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. help Alice get away with murder. And somehow, goodbye, Earl's playing in the background, <laughs> even though that song hadn't come out yet. <laughs> And everybody's like calling in with like, she can come stay in my house or like, I'm an alibi. <laughs> I have a shovel. I love this version, this alternate <laughs> reality unsolved mysteries. We need to do this for every horrible, heartbreaking segment of the show is just think about the alternate reality in which the woman slips antifreeze into her husband's oatmeal every morning. Until he's dead. And then unsolved mysteries gets the viewers <laughs> to come together and help her get away with it. I love it. Because honestly, the world would be a better place without him. It, it definitely would be. If Alice was still in the world and he was not, it'd be a yeah. happier Yeah, exactly. Place. So um, by 1981, they had three children. And according to, I, I don't think I said her sister's name. It's Fatima. He often yelled at his family. He seemed to get angry for no apparent reason. He was physically abusive. When she told her parents that she wanted to leave him, they would not allow her to do so because they did not believe in divorce. Basically, if she wanted to leave her husband, she was she was going to have to be cut off from her entire family, which she hasn't been allowed to ever meet anybody. So that probably that was like her whole world. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. sure she feels dependent on, she on, wasn't, on him she, because she, she doesn't know how to navigate the world. She wasn't allowed to sit on a porch. So I'm guessing she doesn't have like a lot of friends or like other connections in the community. I'm sure her abusive her. husband isn't allowing her to go out and meet people. So... Uh... So finally, after 14 years of abuse, Alice got the courage to defy her parents and David. And in the summer of 1988, she kicked him out and tried to rebuild her life on her own. She enrolled in nursing school and actually started dating a new man. Good for her. However, David started to stalk her at work and at home. Oh my God, David, move on to a different cousin. Like, (laughs) it's, it's over. Yeah. Why are he's, you so he's just crazy, a controlling David? asshole. If he can't have her, no one can. It's like a same old story. I hate <sighs> it. I hate it so much. So on July 25th, 1988, her and her boyfriend were at home when she noticed David outside in his car. A few minutes later, he broke down the door and began to beat her over the head with a tire jack. Her boyfriend, who witnessed the attack, fled to a nearby police station. But it was quite a ways away. I forget how long they said he had to run. He ran for a mile. I was like, isn't isn't there a neighbor with a phone? Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know this town. want to believe that, but he had to go like on foot to fetch the police. When the police and paramedics finally arrived on the scene, she was dead. She had been bludgeoned and then stabbed 24 times with a butcher knife. What a psycho. 
David obviously vanished that day. Investigators later learned that he had taken a bush from Fall River to Boston, and then he fled to Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and he had not been seen since. Sorry, Canada. Yeah, so the the good news is that there is a uh, tight-knit Portuguese, fam- Portuguese community in Canada who immediately knew who this was and ratted him out. Thank you to them. Yes. So he was captured. At, within minutes of the broadcast, investigators received leads about David. And I love it every later, time. I love it every time. <laughs> it's amazing. He was arrested in a Portuguese community in Montreal. He had lived there for several years and had been working in a fish market. He was extradited to Massachusetts. We get some, honestly, the best part about this segment is the fish market uh, footage from the people who turned David in. There is an excellent mustache did you give this fish market oh. co-worker mustache a name i mean it's got to be the fishmonger it has to be it's it has huge to be. it is it's like the fins of a fish it kind of is it kind of is i, I feel like it maybe it protects his, his face from flying scales or something it, it protects his nose from the odors yeah it has to <laughs> Um, so yeah, so he was turned in. It was turned. He was turned in by his coworkers at the fish market. They were like, "We know were, this asshole." They also were like, "I can't believe it's him," but I turned him in anyway. Yep. What a dick. <laughs> they were like, "We saw his picture. We knew exactly who he was, and so we had to turn him in." Uh, so he was extradited to Massachusetts in May 1996. He pleaded guilty to second degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole uh, for the period of period of 15 years. And it's. I don't know when this was last updated, but Unsolved Mysteries Wiki says he's currently being held in a medium security pr- prison in Massachusetts. I hope he never gets out. Um, yeah, I hope he dies somehow, honestly. <sighs> yeah. I, d- I don't see any redeeming qualities. No, absolutely not. No. I hope. I don't know. Poor Alice. Poor Fatima. Oh. Yeah, for her twin to be like in this situation she couldn't get out of for so long, and then to finally like find the courage to do it and just get murdered. Yeah, she she enrolled in nursing school. She had a boyfriend. She was like really making it on her own, and he couldn't stand it. Oh, I hate it. Okay, that's the end of the episode. It's time yep. to rate it. All right, so our first category is mysteriousness. Okay, hmm, not that mysterious. No, does. TT work. I'm leaning towards no, but if you <laughs> practice, mysterious to me. But if you practice and you've seen it work, get in touch. I want to hear your story. Perhaps it's you podcast gmail.com. Tell us how you have cured someone with therapeutic touch or been cured. I would yeah. love to know about it. I feel like I'm not convinced of Tony Lombardi whether he was murdered or whether it was suicide. That's one the way mysterious one. That one is a, a little mysterious. I'm still saying thumbs down though. As a whole, it was only one out of three mysteries, and it was pretty short. So yeah, I'm gonna go thumbs down. Thumbs down. Reenactments. Um, pretty good. I think they put a lot of effort into the war ones. Do I really care? No, but they looked fine. Um, in general, fine. They were right? okay. They were okay. I mean, the the first mysteries reenactments were pretty easy. Just someone yeah. had to wave their hands over a baby. <laughs> as, so, you, as you do. Yeah. Ah, sideways. I, I can't bring myself okay. to K one, one way or another. Yeah, they were okay. Fashion? Okay, thumbs way up. Nine Early 90s fashion is in full force. If you want to see rugby shirts, color block sweatshirts, sweaters, sweaters. teenagers are clearly very proud of. Uh, some eye looks that are 
there's a lot going on. There's a, a lot mullet. of mullet. There's mullets. There's mustaches. There's yeah, I don't there's even Hawaiian lays. Like there's a lot. There's a little bit for everybody. Yeah, thumbs way up. Yeah, it's good. And Robert Stack. Mm, I mean, it's not his best work. I think it's fine. He shows he up in some, the trench coat at the beginning. There's some poetic turns of phrase. Yeah, that's he's, true. He's he's kind of needlessly he's dramatic. Clearly skeptical about healing touch as well. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'll give him a thumbs up just for that. Sure. Just for him being like, don't try this at home. Everyone told us <laughs> to say that. I'm giving him a thumbs up just for that, actually. What is the danger? I still don't know. Um, yeah, he gets a thumbs up for me. Okay, what would you rate this episode? You know, this one episode was fine. Yeah, I feel is like it's it like a, a three, three and a half. Actually, I'll give it a three and a half because I love The Lost Love so much. Oh, you're right. That one made me cry happy tears. So I feel like it has to get at least a three and a half. It's kind of standard, but there's a few things that just like tip it, tip it a little. It's it's yeah. worth watching for sure. Just, I mean, have you ever seen men express such joy on television? So rare, right? That's true. That was a delight, actually. It's not so. like a it's not like a World Series was won. They just saw each other and they were so fucking happy about it. Yeah, they were such I good friends. Agree. They used to go out and party together. I, I, I'm curious. I'd like to know more about that. Oh, they had to have such good stories. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was okay. Great. Three and a half. Yep. I'm honestly tempted. How do you feel about skipping recommendations today? <laughs> I feel great about it because I actually realized like halfway through this episode, <laughs> I didn't have a recommendation. Because and I our- was like, <laughs> what obscure Instagram account can I mention? I'm going to say that this episode is already so long. We did so many updates. And I feel like our recommendation is honestly that you should get these mints from the <laughs> Lord. Yes, they make a great gift. They are delicious, and the tin is like really pretty, and you can save it, and you can put more mints in it, or as I will, definitely either hairpins or safety pins, some sort of pins. Absolutely, I'm gonna go with that as the recommendation rather than us talk for like another twenty minutes. <laughs> great idea. I need okay. a break. Okay, so, oh, I maybe should have said for recommendations, we are doing a second zine. Tentatively, the due date for submitting things from the zine is October 15th. So you have a minute if you want to get something together. We've already had some very good submissions, so I think it's going to be quality. Things like cross-stitch patterns. We've gotten a cootie catcher, which I specifically requested. Thank you, thank you. We've gotten a poem. We've gotten some other really cool stuff. I think it's going to be great. So please, you know, come up with a Mad Lib, come up with a word search, come up with, uh, I don't know, our friend Rob from Our Strange Skies wrote a thing about how everybody's sick of hearing about Roswell. So maybe you Love have something it. you want to vent about where you're like, you know what, Mothman's not that great. Write that up for us. Send that in. Perhaps it's you. publish that? Just <laughs> <laughs> kidding. <laughs> Samantha's like, we published Blasphemy since when? <laughs> Uh, perhaps it's you podcast gmail.com um, if you want to be as cool as BD Wong you will head over to our Instagram perhaps it's you and comment what you would call that facial hair yes and give it are, a name since it's obviously not a soul patch it's not a soul patch so what the fuck is it BD Wong didn't explain further <laughs> uh, we have a couple of Facebook groups should we start a BD Wong fan Facebook group I don't know maybe if you want to moderate it, dear listener, yeah, go right ahead. Don't I'm not going to put work into that, but I'll join. Nope, but that's up to you. Uh, and there's also Twitter. I feel like I'm just languishing over there, but it does exist. It does. 
if you have a few extra dollars burning a hole in your pocket, you can mm. give us uh, a dollar. Uh, it's a great deal on Patreon, patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. And you get an instant access to a back catalog of, I think, like 43 episodes it's at this point. way too many. Yeah. yeah. We got this some other one, tiers. Check it out. We talked about the X-Files again. We did. By, by special request, Jose Chung's from Outer Space. We We've finally did more it. than one request. It, we, as you probably know, it only takes one request to get us to watch something. <laughs> We've gotten several for this episode of the X Files. We thought we'd finally talk about it. You get to hear about that. Just give us a dollar. We get Great coloring deal. sheets if you donate five dollars. Yeah. So Everyone? this month's where us is cackling harpies is drawn by L M Peterson. So you're gonna want to color that. It's us, and we're cackling. And if you do color it, post a picture of it on social media and uh, tag us, because I love to see your finished coloring sheet. I haven't seen a finished coloring sheet in so long. Is anyone actually doing them? I want to see. I mean, people okay. are paying for them. So they yeah, must, it just kind of must do, I would assume someone is coloring them, but maybe you just want to give us extra money, which honestly, thank you. Yeah, we do appreciate that, too. We use it to buy mints from Lourdes. So. We, we use it to have holy snack hours. Well, am you I order- healed us? So that's am I ordering those chocolates? You bet your ass I am. <laughs> that's happening tonight. Okay. Is that everything? Let's just say that's so. everything. It must be. Rate, subscribe, blah. Perhaps it's you. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Keep cackling and also barking. Bye. Bye.